and welcome to the Order of Initiative. This is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast where we talk about DMing and everything you could want to know about running your game. I'm Charles, and with me today I have Tori. Hello. And Willis. Hello. Today we're talking about backgrounds, but before we get into it, we're going to roll initiative to see who talks first. Guys, I'm so good at this intro God now. damn it. <laughs> Fourteen. Three. <laughs> Five. I don't... Wow. Damn. I feel like I win these a lot now. I, yeah, I feel like I haven't had a um <clears throat> a good roll in a while. Yeah, I think so. I feel like I always get it now. I'll, anyway, backgrounds. Uh, according to my notes, it just says hell yeah, so I'm going to take that and run with it. Um, backgrounds are, in my eyes, a pretty important part of the character because you can look at the the race of your character to get some ideas of how they were raised. You can look at the class of your character for some ideas of what they can do. But the background, I think, is... Well, I think the background is actually more of the the what you do, and your class is the how you do it. That's mm. at least how I view it, because I've had wizards who were charlat- or charlatans. I've had uh, barbarians that were doctors. Mm. And you don't really think of those things going together normally, but that's why I, I think backgrounds are such a fun thing to incorporate, because then you get a inf- kind of informed way to m- have these really fun spins on the classes. Because what the hell is a barbarian doctor doing? Um, <laughs> and beyond that, you know, I really, really want players to customize backgrounds more than any other part of the game, honestly. I There's a lot of good things to pick from in the book, but it's still kind of limited. Um, so whenever a player wants to customize a background, I'm really, really for it. Mm, I feel that. I really like allowing... Um... So, like, when I allow one thing of of homebrew, usually if it's a background, I'll allow them another thing of homebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really think that it's really easy to customize a background. Yeah. And it's not game-altering or game-changing. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, like if the shoe doesn't fit, make your own. Exactly. It's, it's one of the few places where the book itself even says, like, hey, here's how you can customize a background. Mm-hmm. Take two two skills, maybe a language, maybe some tools. Have fun. Yeah. I uh, I have kind of a, a little thing that I do with my players sometimes where I'm like, if, if they're like a new player, I'll be like, you know, you can look through the backgrounds and if you don't see anything you like, you can also um, just pick two proficiencies that you want. But come up with a reason for why your character would have those proficiencies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, seems kind of like it's like a me being like, oh yeah, you know, just kind of do what you want. But I'm also kind of like tricking them into character development a little bit. We love that. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> no, that's that that totally makes sense. Because it, it helps get your players into the mindset of like what your character is good at. Mm-hmm. And what they've mm-hmm. spent part of their time doing. Yeah. yeah and it's... When they come up with it, it feels a lot more like personal to their character rather than picking a background out of the book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And on the other side of it, like someone like me who is pretty experienced with this system, sometimes there just isn't an option there that really fits for what I wanted. I had a uh, a tiefling fighter gunslinger 
who was like a, a private detective and he had his own office, a shitty little office and a little like goblin sidekick. And I wanted him to be a detective. And I think um, when I was building his class, like there was nothing for getting proficient in investigation. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm a detective. I really need to have that. And yeah. there was no background that really made sense as a detective. So I just, you know, with DM permission, built up a detective background and it gave me the few skill proficiencies that like made sense, like insight and uh, investigation. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like just getting skill proficiencies is never going to break the game. Yeah. It just helps round out your character. Did you do features for yours? I don't think so. Okay. That, that is the trickier part of backgrounds, especially customizing them. Yeah. Mm. I'm only asking because I know there's a D&D &D wiki homebrew detective because I've used Oh, that. I'm sure there is. Yeah. So, yeah, for those who, who might not know, a lot of backgrounds, apart from these skills and, and tool proficiencies, will have features. I think um, Folk Hero has one where, like, friendly townsfolk will always shelter you mm -hmm. if possible. Yep. Some of these, honestly, some of these features are kind of strange because it, it assumes a lot about, like, what the DM is willing to do and, like... Mm -hmm. It, it, sometimes it seems like it reduces to what should be living, breathing NPCs to just, like, functional. Like, yes, we will keep you at our home. No questions asked. <laughs> I, I usually would prefer to play that out. Um, but I, I get where they're coming from. Like, as a folk hero, you're a loved member of the community or at least respected. If, so people are going to try to help you out. Yeah, if you can pass yourself off that as that person, totally. Because it's like... It, and I feel in a lot of campaigns, um, there are probably traveling bards who sing songs of lore. Therefore, that folk hero would have been mm. sung about, which That's is fun. which is why it makes sense to me. Why that why that feature makes sense to me. However, what if somebody has already passed themselves off as that folk hero? Oh, that's actually kind of fun. Uh huh. I've I've done that in a couple of my games. <laughs> um, like the just rolling the, the for party. the chance. Yeah. The party gets to a town and introduces themselves, and they start like, getting a lot no. of stank. <laughs> nah, like, you like raided that last town. Like, what? We've never been there. <laughs> no, we've heard about it. Yeah, um, I love doing stuff like that, uh, involving people's involving people's backgrounds. Yeah, which is why, like, you've built a character with me. I'm really involved in building uh, my characters, uh, my players' characters for my games. Because mm -hmm. uh, I want to integrate them into the world as much as possible. I like having my world feel like a living, breathing thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really involve backgrounds in my stories. Yeah. I think as, as a DM, you gotta to make the, it all make sense. Mm -hmm. So I got a question for you guys. How do you, as a DM, um, what are the differences between how you handle a veteran player's backstory and how you handle a... A new player's backstory both in terms of like creating it or helping them create it um incorporating it into the story uh things like that i think with newer players i try to really 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 help them understand how flexible i'm going to be in incorporating their background as much as possible because i i've seen this a lot with newer players where they seem hesitant to like help me design the world if that makes sense They're, like i always mm -hmm. get questions like could i be part of like some some like religious order like could i maybe like could i be 
could I be trained under this wizard? Like, yes, yes. Like, literally, design elements of the world with me, and I'll tell you, like, I'll make sure it doesn't contradict anything. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I, I really want you to realize there's room for your ideas in this world, too. Mm -hmm. That's that's my favorite part of, uh, like, Session Zeroes anyway, is seeing, like, finally seeing new players, like, when it clicks in their, in their head, like, oh, I can, like... I can do anything. I can, like, design stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> I find uh, more often than not, new players have, I'm not bagging on my older players either, like my veteran players, they just have fresh ideas. Um, the new players do? Yeah. Especially like once it clicks with them, like once they get over the fact, like the, um, the I can be anything hump, mm -hmm. um, I see them often bringing more to the, the backstory and involving their backstory a little harder. Um, so I, I always try to involve my back... Like, I always try to, like, really bring in my backstory with my characters. Oh, yeah. Because um, I just I just find that, like, veterans are like, yeah, I have this background, and this is what happened, and now I'm game-focused forward. I've... Honestly, I've seen, like, the exact opposite, where... Really? Yeah, the the couple of people I've played with who are brand spanking new, their characters tend to be like themselves and mm. with like a, a very, very small twist on it. But then every also with these players, every time we get like 10 sessions in, they've like understood what the game is and I can see a little bit of regret. They're like, oh man, I could have done like something way crazier because <laughs> then they'll tell me ideas about like other characters and now it's like, oh yeah, now that's a D&D &D character. Now you've like fully fleshed mm -hmm. out. Now you've gotten it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I see that happen so much and honestly, I did the same thing. My very first D&D &D character in 5e back in like 2013 was like just an elf who acted like me. <laughs> but my next character was like way different and i see that happen all the time with new players or um not necessarily new players but players that are uninitiated that haven't mm. had a whole lot of D, D exposure they they see all this stuff and with D, D, it's a lot there's a lot of stuff yeah and there's a lot of natural conclusions uh based on like mechanics and kind of like pre-established mainstream lore that like makes sense like um the uh let's see let me try and think of an example here the that like elf rogue um the the halfling rogue just like a lot of stereotypes the, they have yeah in their there's head, the, probably yeah, oh, the, yeah the dwarven paladin things like that that like mm -hmm. it, they make sense from a mechanical and a you know kind of just general knowledge sort of thing um and then once they start getting into like, so they build those characters. And those are, you know, there's nothing wrong with those characters as long as they bring in, you know, some uh, some creative elements with, like, the backstory. Mm -hmm. And then you see, like, as they go on and they see more of it, or they start immersing themselves in the D&D &D stuff, and they hear more stories about those things, then they start getting weird with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And those are some of the real, like, the real fun characters to have in, in the, the, like, real weird, odd ones. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's more what I'm talking about is like when the new character gets comfortable, but they're not considered a veteran yet. Then I start seeing the funky, fresh ideas at my table. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it takes a while for you just to understand how much freedom there is in this game. Oh, yeah. 
and even like i it definitely takes a while i think to get a feel of it to like to be like fully conscious of the tropes and then like work against them in a sense mm. you know what yeah. i mean to like mm-hmm. actively like okay let's do something really different because like we we're saying it's overwhelming definitely yeah and sort of in a similar vein with uh, all the freedom that you get from backstories i want to talk about uh dreaming too big with your backstories and the two mm. two epic backstories yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah i feel that <laughs> i mean it, it obviously depends what level you're starting at but mm-hmm. i feel like most campaigns start somewhere levels one to five right i don't really mm-hmm. see long-running campaigns that start higher than that and so you have not saved the world yet my dude <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. I think something I always think about is the, the what's taking place at the table or, or specifically what will take place at the table is the most interesting time in your character's life. Everything that happened off the table before now informs who your character is leading up to the events, but they should not be more interesting than what is going to happen. Yes. Obviously as a player you don't know the plan but you know you can scale it back and you did not defeat armies on your own or slay dragons or you're not fucking king <laughs> etc mm-hmm. um, because the, the table what the campaign you're going to play should be that character's journey it hasn't already happened yet no i i 100 percent agree um so in my game before you charles yes i had a character who um, there's a small island where um, people aren't allowed to step on. So, like, nothing really new has been brought in, uh, like knowledge and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a character who fought me every single step of the way of, well, I would know this. No, you wouldn't. Well, I'm supposed to be this huge scholar. Not really. You're educated. Um this was a character from that island that was very yeah. secluded yes okay. um and assumed that they were the best of the best of knowing everything and uh that was really hard and, yeah. and not talking from a i've slayed i've slayed dragons and i've led armies and blah 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 but more of a not like you chose where you came from and i tried to like i tried to explain as fully as i could um exactly what it would have been like on the island yeah um and just didn't get it so it was a constant fight for me as a dm i was like you chose your background you chose the place that you came from like you gotta work with me here <laughs> that, I, was, I was having to break yeah. game to, to be like you wouldn't know this that's and unfortunate yeah and i hate fighting just... with my characters oh same yeah it's unfortunate that they I guess like didn't fully grasp the setting and how the, how much that would influence their character knowledge. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I, I understand that player's perspective a little bit. Like if that's the sort of character you wanted to lean into, like um, lock Richt in my blood hunter uh, is, a, is a monster hunter. And I always wanted him to like know a fair amount about any particular monster we were going up against. Like n- not everything, but I like the idea of him knowing a few of its weaknesses. And for the most part, I was allowed to roll and, and like have a, an, a small idea of what would be good against it. And I wanted that. Cause I'm, you know, I'm leaning into Geralt of Rivia 
tropes a little bit. I liked the idea of knowing how to take down monsters. So mm-hmm. I would suspect that player wanted a similar thing where like, yeah, I'm I'm a big old nerd. I know lots of things, but you gotta like understand the world you're in too. Yeah. Um I, Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, he knew like he knew more about botany and medicine and poisons and that kind of thing. Hmm. Um just because that's uh that's where he was from. Uh, and I had set up places for him, uh, libraries of great education and, and things for him to take and glean and continue to learn as he went on. See, so that- that's, that's perfect because mm-hmm. you can actually see the, the, the journey of the character learning things. And if he's, you know, um, I think we might've hit on something there because there's a difference between coming into the game saying, I'm the smartest man alive. I know everything Yeah. without narrowing down fields. Yep. That, that's not very interesting, but like having pre-established knowledge in some areas, but also just having the character trait of, I am very curious and I want to learn things. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually more interesting. And then you're able to sprinkle rewards for them all the time. So when they get to a city with a great library like that, their eyes are going to go wide. They're like, oh my God, books. Yeah. That, that reminds me of the... Um... Uh, the character that I had in your campaign, Charles, where he was a huge nerd. And it was such a great moment for me when the party had been to this great library previously before my character had met up with them. And then um, kind of coming up with a backstory element on the fly, we had, we just kind of short, shortly discussed, like, he's been to this library before. The librarian knows him. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it was just, like, a really fun spur-of-the-moment um, thing that, like, made him feel like he was more part of the world. Like, he lives in this world. Yeah, just made sense. I want you to be good at what you do. It's your background. Um, yeah. You're not going to be the best. Not yet. Um, I think that's the thing. Not yet. Yeah. It's it's, it's not a not journey. ever. It's never a not ever. This is, it's D&D. This is your quest to become epic. Yeah. Um, level 20 is you're basically gods. <laughs> um, I will, s- I, oh, hmm? keep going. Oh, no, that that's, you know. <laughs> I will say I, I am a sucker for a particular kind of trope, which breaks this rule. Um, I, I really like the idea of a character who is past their prime and basically trying to relive the glory days. And that's kind of the idea for a character yep. that um, I, I've pitched to you, which is this 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 guy called Paragus, who in his heyday was like a really powerful wizard, but since then has lost his ability to even use magic and is kind of a washed up old fart. And I think that's, <laughs> I don't, I, I feel like that still works because he's not, you know, he's not on that level he was. He's trying to maybe get back to that level. I think that's a fun place to start with a character. Um, I, I think when you think about, like, keep your background simple, that's pretty much all I have. I, I don't... He, he didn't, like, save the world or anything. He was just, like, pretty good at magic. And I think it's a fun place to now take a character who is kind of fallen um, from glory. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the right term, but fallen from grace a little bit and is trying to get back to how they used to be. So that was uh, something else that I wanted to talk about too, is the, the, the fallen character. Um, Cause I too really like that idea, but it's, it's one of those more dangerous ideas where it can Definitely. be taken too far. Mm-hmm. Like 
I hear a lot of stories about, oh, I was a god that got smushed down Ugh. into the form of a mortal, and <laughs> I'm trying to find my way back to godhood. And it's god. like, that's a super, like, interesting story, but it's, like, it's within overplayed. the bounds of D&D, it's so hard to, like, manage, and yeah. it just, it, it makes this, like, power cap kind of thing where it's like you if you're a god that's trapped in a uh, a mortal form like that's one of those things where it's like i can't let you get that back of you course know not. yeah um because it's just it's like that's it, I mean, it you know yeah i mean it's kind of interesting but it would work far better as an npc than a player yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah or i would, like I, oh sorry Oh, I was just gonna. Another example is the the dragon that's trapped in the human form. Oh God! Please tell me you remember that sheet, Charles. Oh my God, I do. Will, uh, Will, did you, <laughs> Willis? Do you remember? Uh, did you recollect this? Somebody must have sent it to you. Somebody put a dragon as their character and gave themselves all of the legendary actions, the <laughs> armor class. I think I do the remember hit this. Points <laughs> like three of a health. dragon. Um and the DM was strength. wondering why the rest of the party was coming up short and this this one character was one hitting everything. And it was they they the character themselves the player excused it as, "Well, you told me that I could play a dragon stuck in a human's body." Boy. Does it mean you're literally a dragon? <laughs> and they didn't want to give up the character after. You know, uh I should there there's a small elephant in the room um yeah. because <laughs> no I think I've talked about it on on the on the podcast before uh in it one of my earliest campaigns I ran Nathan played oh, no. a character that was a dragon in in humanoid form I believe this podcast Yeah but that was <laughs> I I would argue that that's a little bit different cuz that was I feel like that follows a little bit more of like reincarnation rules rather than a little bit um, I mean yeah a dragon stuck in a, a human's form. It like. was specifically inspired by the Trill from Star Trek. Nathan loves the Trill, and they have kind of a a host join. Uh, it's like a, a joining of two minds, oh, and okay. it passes from host to host. So that's he, cool. He, his his idea was that like the dragon spirit would bond to a new host every time it needed to, and so it'd be a merging of these personalities and like a, a legacy that lived on. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, like I love the idea. I probably would not approve it now because I think he was in his like eighth or ninth body in the campaign we started. And mm-hmm. that's a bit much. I would probably now restrict it to like your second or third body. Well, to me, it feels a little bit more like a warlock patron than a that's true. actual, like the, the character is the, this one's life and the dragon spirit is sort of the, the patron. Yeah. It also helps that, like, the goal was never to return to dragon form. Um, mm-hmm. That was not possible. Mm-hmm. That was just not, a, like, a, a part of the arrangement. It was only the continuation of the spirit in new form. So he was never going to, like, rock out in dragon form, which which also <laughs> helps. It was basically just this, like, kind of almost, yeah, kind of like a patron, like you said. Just this, like, wise element um, being passed on. I like that. I like that a lot, it's, I mean, still, nine bodies is kind of a lot for, like, a level three character. Because it's hundreds of years of experience, yeah. I, I would I would definitely cut it down now, but it's a really fun idea. 
Um, I wanted to touch on the the human, uh, the the god forced into a human form. Oh God! <laughs> I would I would make that character retire. I would make that player retire that character once they unlock, like to the top tier, mm-hmm. and let them know like I'll make them an NPC. They just won't be playable for you. Yeah, which would I mean, like I, I it would might suck hold off to level twenty. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like level twenty would be the oh my god, I've unlocked my god power. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you give the character the backstory that they were a god, then uh, you wander dangerously into main character syndrome, where if a player was previously a god, it could be very easy for them to slip into thinking that like, oh, this is my story about how I get my godhood. Yes, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, how does the other party member who's like I was a, a barbarian? Yeah, like I own a tavern and I just want to rescue my wife from goblins. Like, how the fuck do you compete against the yeah. literal god in the party? They're prettier by far. Um, no. Um, <laughs> you know I, that actually. Hmm? Oh, keep going if you got something. Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna touch on uh, that your your Paragus thing. Your person who was once a good, like once a, a great thing. I was gonna mm-hmm. uh, touch back because I had a character like that, and you got to play with her. Um, Renegade. Oh. She was a, a a bounty hunter, and she gave it all up. Aw. And, uh, cause she, she fell in love, which is really gross and tropey for me. <laughs> and did she come out of retirement for one last job? For Strad. <laughs> you son um, of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> um, but she picked up all these, na- I had her pick up all these nasty habits from, from bounty hunting. Oh, I like that. Like her, See, like I- her sharp tongue and, and all of that. Oh. I, I do quite like the trope of characters like sort of reliving the glory days, or at least like kind of being rusty at what they used to be good at doing. Mm-hmm. And think about Paragus is like I don't envision him ever like coming back to that level of power because yeah, spoilers. I don't know who this is a spoiler for, but he literally <laughs> can barely ca- like his his connection to magic is severely damaged. He can barely cast cantrips. Damn. So I do, I don't even really want that to be his character journey. To get back to big blasting powers. For me, the fun part of this character is I'm going to be a mentor to Karma's character, who yeah. and will be teaching him how to use magic. That's the interesting part, and like the the whole idea of like I used to be this great wizard is really just background flavor. So I, I, yeah, I think it establishes a foundation. I'm sorry, Willis. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, you're 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 totally fine. I had uh, an idea that I was kind of like playing around with for a, a character and it kind of fits in well with the uh, two epic backstory where this is a little tropey too, but it's the character with a backstory that he was, um, he's, he's a wizard and he's figured out how to travel through time. And yeah. the, it's like, people know it's like, that's the guy who figured out time travel, but it was like a spell he fucked up once and it just aged him like 50 years absolutely so he's like he's like a 20 year old man that looks like he's 70 <laughs> he's terrible at magic that's kind he's of a total magic. fraud but he looks like a wizened old <laughs> <laughs> yeah he looks like that's a wise amazing. old wizard i am i am a sucker for characters who are effectively like lying to the party about some aspect of their identity oh yeah even that's kind of tropey but i do i do like that (laughs) yeah uh like uh oh like 
I, I would have to say oh. it was really cool that we were able to do the double reveal in our Strahd game with yeah. Renegade showing that she was a half-elf and then Ivy showing the, that she was a changeling. That was so yeah. good. We were Renegade both hiding a, something. A big old hat that was hiding her ears. But yeah, like finding out that someone else in the or someone in the party had been a changeling the whole time was was like one of the most memorable moments in the whole campaign for me. Yeah, it was, that was, like, that was what? good. What? Especially, this is kind of a tangent, especially because Locke was so against Anti. anything monstrous. So session one Locke probably would have like fought Ivy if yeah, he found that sure. out. But whatever we were on, session 35, Locke was like, I'm going to hug you now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. Um. I touched on this earlier in the episode, Touch but on I, it again. I want to expand on it a little bit more. I'm going to get touchy. Hang on. I'm getting grabby. Touch. Um, I talked about how classes and backgrounds can be what you do versus how you do it. Yes. Um, I, I really like that. And I, I probably lean that more than anyone else I know. Yes, um, like for sure. I, I, have a, I have a character called Slate, who is a, a changeling <laughs> monk, but... Monk really is only there to influence his abilities. He's not anything close to what you picture as a stereotypical monk. Like, he's literally just a dude who's good at punching. Mm. Um, and he, he's also a... Uh, it's from um, Exploring Eberron, which is a non-official 5e book, but it's by the guy that designed the Eberron setting. A lot of fun stuff in it. There's a... I forget what it's called now, but it, it, it's a monk archetype specifically for Way of the Living Weapon, right? That's it. Thank you. Um, and it lets them, you can spend like key points to have like stretchy punches, <laughs> essentially. Um, and it just, it, it just made a lot of sense for the character. But I will often do that where I just try to find like, what do I want my character to be able to do? And I'll look at the classes for that. So like, again, I've had like Henrik the Barbarian who just is a Jekyll and Hyde and, and rages out and then Hulk's Hulk smashes people. I don't usually think of the, the class in any background sense. Usually I very rarely try to let the, um, well, I shouldn't say very rarely because warlocks are always directly tied to like the, the backstory somehow, but I don't put as much thought into like tying the background and the class together. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I just want the class to be what they can do, and the backstory is what they do more in sense of a career. Yeah. Um, I, I, I said that before on this podcast, on other episodes, your class is not your career. Um, it can be. You could be like a professional wizard, but I think it's more interesting if you're a wizard in the sense that I am someone who knows magic, and also I'm a con artist. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I would I would view it more as for me this is what fuels me. My background is what fuels guides me and my my class is what carries me forward. Fuels you in, in terms of like motivation? Yeah. Or interests even? Yes. Yeah. Like the con, con artist, uh let's say con ar artist monk. Um mm -hmm. I really want this painting. The monk is how I'm going to get it. Mhm. Mm like drive, it's going to drive the car. I'm able. I'm able to scale these walls, <laughs> both because yeah. yeah, like you know what I, you know what I mean, kind of deal. I do. Yeah, kind of like uh, Aspen. Aspen was a little ur ur urchin, street rat. Um, 
but was also a ranger, so he was really good at picking things up from afar and then going and getting them. And that was uh, that was me multi-using his background and his class. Yeah. That's how I would think of it. I, I think so, we're pretty much saying the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I think of it more gas for the car and wheels for the car. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that I did for my players recently is I gave them a choice of a profession in addition to like their backstory. Um, That's interesting. If, if, if you, you know, for anybody that wants, you can pick a profession and proficiency in the, and those professions tools to add to your character. Um, Cause I had originally planned to allow for a lot more downtime. Um, but then because it was like a module and the way that it set up, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I kind of veered a little bit away from that, but I still really like the idea of getting your, giving your players um, a literal job that they could have had at some point, if they want. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the times I end up just merging that with the idea of a background, but not all of mm-hmm. them work for that because, you know, there's stuff like Acolyte or Sage or yeah. like Outlander. Like your career, like your job was not, I lived in the woods. I mean, I guess maybe a career isn't even, like, applicable for a character like that. But there definitely could be situations where, like, you know, I'm a soldier as a background. Like, okay, what did you do with that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it was, uh, I think, my attempt to – because, like, in the backgrounds, um, there is one, the the guild uh, artisan, that is, like, you had a job, you know. And it's yeah. like, I feel like that's kind of uh, limiting. I didn't want them to be like, because it's like a soldier could very easily have also been a farmer, you know, before yeah. they were a soldier. And an, an urchin, they could have grown up an urchin, but then they were taken in by a blacksmith. Yes. A blacksmith. So I just, I feel like limiting one background like I didn't want them to fall into that trap of thinking that like oh I can be the soldier or I can be the blacksmith. I was oh. trying to expand their horizons a little bit. I, I see what feel you mean. That. I feel that. I had um. That's funny that you say that. So I had an urchin. Um, I love them. I like They're so urchins. good. I have two of them. Her name was Siobhan. She was a street kid until she was picked up by uh, this fighter who taught her how to protect herself. Um, however. I kept her with the urchin background because her first priority was to always get gold in her pocket so that she and um, her reflavored rat, my DM, let me have a niffler. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I, um, I know this character. You know this character. I've shown you this character. Um, yeah. She always wanted to make sure that she would be able to feed herself and her niffler. Niffler first and then herself. Um, yeah. Yeah, always. That was her, like, that was one of her, her, um, and I know we'll we'll talk about this in just a minute, but that was one of her, um, her bonds was Mm. Treasure Came First. Treasure was the name of her Niffler. Um, Treasure Came First. Um, yeah. (laughs) And she had a real thick Jersey accent, so it was Treasure. (laughs) (laughs) See, that that seems like a a perfect example of why, like, a, a bit more of a layered background yeah Mm -hmm. so but she was also like oh sorry go i was just saying my only fear there is maybe overloading your character sheet with skill proficiencies because you don't want to be you don't want to have 
too half many. of them. Yeah. No. I would I would mm-hmm. probably like let them do this complicated background, but then split up the amount of skill proficiencies you're yes. getting from that. It, it was only going to be a tool proficiency, which oh, is yeah, does, yeah that doesn't really we come into that. play very often at all. Yeah. And those, I mean, those are good anyway because I feel like tool proficiencies can kind of be your hobbies, or basically yeah. like what your character's doing in downtime. Mm-hmm. And that was the other the other thought is that like I I wanted to make long rests more meaningful because a lot of them they just it's like okay we're taking a long rest. Um, all right, now it's it's morning time. Now we're gonna go, you know. And I, I like to ch- I like to encourage my players to do things during downtime so that it's not just like a mechanic that they use to get resources back it's yeah. a passage of time no i like that it's a good idea i really really like that yeah my dm flavored uh because the other character that had taken my character and played in the game and we were both gunslingers uh my dm let me carry an extra gun for it Mm -hmm. and then in turn for carrying that extra gun i carried ammo in my like i she had a special ammo belt for the character that had taken her in so it's kind of like a a tie for both of us it was fun yeah it was the the character that had taken you in was another player yeah we we worked Ah. our backstories together I love linking backstories. That's one of the things that Me I have too. written on my notes to talk mm-hmm. about. It's such a, a good way to help facilitate roleplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said this before too, but even if you've been playing with the same group for like 10 years, as soon as you roll up to a new campaign and no one knows each other in game, oh, it's going to be so awkward. Rough. It was it's awkward so... for me <laughs> when I joined you guys for Strahd. I didn't know yeah. any of you. <laughs> even i mean you've been playing with us as a as a human for like eight months but as soon as you have a new character it's like duh, duh, i don't know you <laughs> uh, yeah. so so if they're tied together that it's just so much easier to start building connections even with the rest of the party mm-hmm. you, you know mm-hmm. it, it, you don't feel awkward talking to that person who you've decided you know and then it just helps helps everything go, go faster i don't know another time i'll, I'll get to bring this up do it so I'm going to complain about languages in D&D for a second. God, oh, I knew yes. it was coming. I knew <laughs> it was coming. I, the more I play D&D, the more I, w- I, I don't really like how languages work. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that, I think there's just too many opportunities to pick up languages. I think it's weird when a character knows six languages and it's not that weird. Like in real life, that's insane. And I get that like, these are ex- these are exceptional characters and of course they're going to be like more skilled than your average human in real life but god that's a lot and i think we're missing out on fun opportunities by not knowing every language in the world when you you know take the whole party so like there was a memorable moment in my campaign where um i, I want to explain the whole thing but the party had a a triton yeah. um, in their captivity that had attacked them and they didn't really know why, and there was no mutual language between the Triton and the party. Yeah. And it was a really, really interesting situation of them trying to communicate with them. They managed to, like, get her name out. Um, but beyond that, they, they didn't really know how to talk with her. And later, other Tritons showed up and, and, free, and tried to free her. And But, like, that was such an interesting thing. And I feel like I never see that. I feel like someone mm. in the party always has 
a language that overlaps. And even like if you're going by the books, every race is supposed to have like common at least to prevent this mm-hmm. stuff. But I don't think that's interesting. I'd much rather you have to like you go to a dwarven city and no one speaks dwarvish and you just are a little befuddled or if one person in the party knows knows dwarvish suddenly that's really like a really valuable resource so mm-hmm. you want to you want to hear something fun yes because you complained about this i put places in my world that only speak that language in no common awesome i, I love that <laughs> because i i like i like tailoring to my players sorry Oh, you're good. I just, I feel it's a double-edged sword, because I had a ton of fun um, uh, playing charades with that uh, Triton. Yeah. Um, and it was it was really fun and everything. And this is just throwing aside the Comprehend Languages spell that just... <laughs> that you forgot you had. <laughs> I didn't have it. It was a, a different player that had it. But it was, like, that spell kind of makes everything, you know... It does. ...out the window. But it was, back to my point, is that it was a fun interaction. If we had to do that again, I think it would it would come off, it would be like, yeah, okay, here we go. Like, here we go. Here we are again. Like, That's if it's, true. If it, if it was the same kind of context, like it was, we went back to the Tritons and we're having, you know. But if it, it's like, we, we play charades with this Triton, and then we leave, and then we go, and we run into a giant, and then we have to play charades with the giant, and then we go... And run into uh, a dwarven city that only speaks dwarven, and we have to play charades with every dwarf that we meet. Yeah, like, fair point. Yeah, it, I I made sure at least one member of my party spoke the language for now, or I have notes that um they speak common, but at like let's say uh um at the level of a four a four year old. Well, that's like you know that's <laughs> something else I wanted to bring up. Like, that's a really good point, Willis. That it it's gonna get old eventually if that happens mm-hmm. every single time. But I wish there was something akin to like half proficiency with languages. I think it's really weird that your knowledge of language in D anD D is binary. You're either fluent or <laughs> yeah. you don't know anything. Like, wh- what? I really wish there was a mechanic, and I might just implement this because I can do that. Um, where you could be like partially proficient and I don't know how much I want to break it down if it would be like in terms of fourths like right like I'm one fourth proficient up to like max you know Um, Mm -hmm. because I quite like the idea of there being maybe even skill checks involved where you you know you meet a bunch of angry dwarves who are who are screaming at you and pointing their their weapons at you and someone's like oh I know a little bit of dwarvish so you roll a language check and you get like okay, they said something about trespassing. Uh, Maybe I think that's an interesting situation, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a lot more you can do with that outside of the okay, we don't understand them at all. Because um, I, I mean, again, I like that, I like that scenario, but it's gonna get old. I think there's there's so many more things you can do with a character who knows a bit of a language, and then you mm-hmm. know maybe they spend their downtime working on that. So couple sessions later they're like half proficient and they can roll these language checks with a just more proficiency and then next time they meet a dwarf like oh wait a minute i know that word uh he's asking us where where we're from and then you can stammer back a reply i just i just think that's a lot more interesting and there's also the thing where it's like even if you speak a language you don't necessarily understand the languages like um i feel like english does this a lot too where it's like there are words that we use that are not 
real words, <laughs> but because of the way that the language is structured, you can say these words to other people and they make sense. But like somebody who maybe doesn't understand the cultural implications or the conventions behind how and oh, why sure. we speak the way that we do, like they're like they said that they have a glass. Uh, there's there's a lot of nuance, and then it's yeah. like somebody who doesn't know that a glass also means like cup something to drink out of might think that like they say that they have glass like i don't know that, that it's they've got glass have you have you guys seen that tiktok which is a woman pointing out of a map of america and she's like how That's come this one is oh you fuck, are you're right. so old i'm so sorry I, she she's like uh, you already know what i'm gonna say but yeah how come this one is kansas but this one is not Arkansas. What do you yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah. Why America? America, explain. Yeah, no, That's I it. love that. I love that one. <laughs> I want, I want more shit like that in D and D. Because there's so, there's so many cultures and languages. It's so weird to me that you either know it all or you don't. Uh, which is why, like, I feel like if a, if, yeah, if a character is gonna pick up six languages, because I think I'm pretty sure Karma's character in my game literally knows six languages. I think that fits for her though, because she's super bookish. No, it does. And I'm not, okay. it's not like game ruining. And she's put a lot, like she intentionally wanted her character to be very like educated. So it's fun. But I just, I, I don't know. There's, I think there's more Ch- to be gained in these fun ass. cultural uh, <laughs> interactions. I understand that. So in Strahd, Aspen knew, I think he knew four languages. However, he was a slave. So I talked to Joan. I was like, I want him to not be able to write. And I want him to oh, not yeah. be able to read these two languages. He can only speak them. Um, and Joe is totally down with that. Which led to some really cool stuff where Karma's character <laughs> taught Aspen how to write some stuff down. Like, well, he, couldn't, he could speak <laughs> common, celestial, and then two others, but he couldn't write anything. He never learned how to write. If I remember correctly, there was a point where Aspen <laughs> was being taught the word idiot yeah and valentine told him it was spelled l-o-c-k-e <laughs> lock uh-huh. <laughs> like yeah that's idiot yep <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah i just went with that and it was really fun because i could like i think at one point i wrote a note and i wrote it with my left hand so it looked really shitty uh, and then i remember and i uploaded it i'll be back yeah. aspen <laughs> but it looks so bad it looks so bad <laughs> That's cute. Um, but I liked it because of that Aspen wouldn't be educated enough to know four languages, especially reading and writing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that was my like, I want them, but I shouldn't have access to all of it. Yeah. Um, so like there's just things you can do with it. I think I think that's a really interesting part of designing your characters in the first place is to have these inherent flaws to them. So yeah. like. Yeah, that was a really I, I totally agree with that like you it makes sense for your character to have these things but like but you gotta add a like a but like here's why it's not ideal yeah i i remember um this is my thing with uh languages is that um i spent a feat on uh nels to give him another three languages oh my god um, Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I was like, oh, I really love the idea that he's a linguist. Cause I beat him, or I, I based him off of, um, uh, Milo from uh, 
Atlantis. Atlantis. That's cool. And yeah, so it's like that was his whole. That was going to be his his like his thing. his thing is that he was kind of a linguist. And then none of the languages I picked, and I think I had seven. None of them ever came up in the campaign. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, I was I just like, that's heartbreaking. That's funny though. I, pro- I I should have catered to that more, but I think I think there was a point where like you guys got kidnapped by a giant, and you were like, "That's <laughs> the one language I don't know." <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh. I didn't pick giant. <laughs> oh wait, so no. Good. Hang on, I almost I, I almost feel like I actually let you work with that. Because I'm remembering this now. There was that giant mm-hmm. that was kind of just talking to you guys like, And you're, and I, I think I let you do one check or another. It was, yeah, so I remember this exactly. Oh, God. Um, you let me roll a history check, I believe, to see if I could um, remember any giant or like what I could yeah. do. And I, I botched it. I rolled really, really terrible. That's and um, so, understandably so, you gave me... I think two words. Yes, which was, was good it, it and was bad. The, yeah, pretty I much. Think. They're like they're like culturally significant words for giants, but they're basically, and it's more complex than like good and bad. But essentially, mm-hmm. it's like everything good and positive, and and a word that means everything negative and bad. And like those are the two words I gave you. And so mm-hmm. that interaction was really really funny because you were trying to communicate with this giant knowing two words. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. <laughs> And uh, I think later I it, I think this was this was a situation where later I was like fuck guys I have comprehend languages, <laughs> and um, I, it it was just it was like it was a fun interaction I love I yeah. love charades with with things but it, it ended up being like a thing where the giant was just got like tired tired of Nels and just like put him in a cage and I was like all right guys come rescue me now <laughs> I failed I. I... Hopefully you feel the same, but I I, re- I remember that encounter fondly. I think it was really entertaining. Oh, same. Yeah, it was it was fun, and it was um, it was it was one of those things where it was like I was disappointed that I couldn't um, communicate with this giant, like because like my whole thing was being a linguist. But at the same time, like success is not guaranteed just because your character is good at something. So it was yeah. a good Thank moment you. for my character yes. to to fail at something they're good at. Yeah. That's a good point. Unless you guys have anything else, I was going to do the personality trait ideals. Yes, I'm so ready to talk, talk about, about boxes. <laughs> what? So the boxes. On the Hold on, I need a fucking moment. Oh, yeah. oh my god. I didn't know what the fuck you meant, but I would you know. Oh my god. I was planning on cutting this, but I might leave it in there. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the best thing because. Boxes, yay! Yay! I love so, boxes. Please another, don't put that in. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard to lead us into this. <laughs> There's another important aspect, uh, the backgrounds chapter in particular, which is a breakdown of personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws for your character. Which any character that doesn't have some base idea for these things is going to feel incomplete. Yes. Um. Basically, I just figured we'd go we'd go through them one at a time and kind of yeah break them down. Let's let's do it. Personality traits are I feel like some of the most open ended parts of of these four um, aspects of a character. Um, but I, I quite like how the book talked about it, and we've even kind of skirted around the the idea in this episode. It, it talks about how saying I'm smart 
is not interesting. But saying, I've read every book in Candlekeep, that's interesting. It's a specific area of knowledge that inform, like, also gives you an idea of, like, the life this person had. Like, even, like, their their mannerisms. Like, what kind of weirdo reads all the books in one place? It, th- there's so many more, like things to extrapolate from that second example versus just i am smart i know all the things mm. mm-hmm. i agree so with that as specific as you can get is is interesting yeah and it also is it's it's specific but it's also very vague because it's i've read every book in you know this place but it doesn't say how many books are in that place mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe it's three it, yeah it could it, we could be dealing with a a, a beauty and the beast situation where it's just like I've read oh. every book in this town that has a library of six books. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. And it, um, it kind of... Go on. Well, I was just going to say, it like something like that represents like a thirst for knowledge, but a yeah. lack of ability to access those things. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's there's so much you can, like, you can take from that. It's like a, um... Bell. I think a <laughs> bell from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. 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 That's what I was referencing. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> the book has a lot of, not just for personality traits, but I think all the boxes um, for different things and in different spots and different books. They say, roll on this table to find, you know, a personality trait if you're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of. I personally don't like randomly selecting my characters' uh, yeah. stuff, but perusing the list can like spark ideas. So that like that's how I like to use it. And if you're like really having a block, rolling on the table and just like being like, okay, that's yeah, I'll just start there. Yeah, it, it can be good to clear it. I totally agree. I've never like gotten this far into character creation and not had some idea of who i'm gonna be you know yeah i'm not like huh what should my character think like but like you said and especially for new players if you have no goddamn idea looking at it can spark some and like Mm -hmm. admittedly sometimes i will get to this point and say like oh i could adapt this specific trait but i'll I'll usually twist some element of it not just straight up take what the book says Mm -hmm. and the they are like some of them are really like fun ideas mm-hmm. like uh i think there was one for it had something to do with either a warlock or some like undead thing i i can't remember exactly what it was but um the the trait was that your skin is always cold to the touch like you're a dead body or like your heart beats like once every like 2 minutes which I are think. like, Jesus. yeah. Sorry, it's th- those are neat, but I actually think those are part of archetypes from Xanathar's. Um, Xanathar's had a mm. lot of things like that for the new mm-hmm. archetypes, where they would suggest weird characteristics like that. Which, yeah, I mean, honestly, they're kind of in the same vein. They're very similar, and the charts even look this like very similar. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of fun inspiration to be had from those. Yeah, and it's that that's those are the kinds of things that I wouldn't want decided on a dice roll but they're just like really great ideas to like help you build a character where it's like yeah like yeah my character is basically almost dead they're being kept (laughs) alive by this patron that they have that's you know and it you just start spinning ideas from there yeah 
I mean, that could be that could be the kind of like you're saying the whole basis of the character rather than something you you mm-hmm. tack on to a pre-established yep. one. Um, the, the next thing that it talks about is ideals. Um, ideals in my mind are kind of like the beliefs your character has. They aren't necessarily true, but they're the things that are important to your character. Oh, one hundred percent. Um, I, I think of it like what what lines will your character not cross? What is the whether they're like their deep fundamental values? Mm. And again, I I feel like specifics go a long way with these things. Um, so you can have you know you can have a chaotic good paladin or even a lawful good paladin, but then their ideals should be something like, I will never kill an unarmed opponent. Yes, mm-hmm. that's specific, and it gives you an idea of like, okay, so they're an honorable person. They might want to pursue evil but as soon as that evil can't defend themselves they're gonna like wait and it, it give, even gives you an idea of like how they're gonna act at the table that, that's the important thing is like how is this character going to act how can this help inform my role-playing decisions yeah and then if you're playing an evil character that has that trait it could even be something like um they they knock somebody down and then they're like oh like why aren't you finishing me off you have a perfect opportunity and they're like but it's not fun unless you're armed <laughs> oh, yeah. so it's yeah. evil but the same trait <laughs> no that's that's a fun twist on it actually um so i actually had a character who you played with <laughs> charles oh, neutral evil all, all your characters their bond was i help the people that help me um because in my mind the alignment chart uh a character that is evil always places themselves before others Yep, totally agree. Um, that doesn't mean they're necessarily rubbing hands together, cackling in the back alleyway. <laughs> Twirling mustache. Twirling, yeah, yeah. damn it, made me do it. <laughs> I, I chose that for them instead of neutral, because they could never be just neutral. They would always choose themselves. This is Aspen, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I built him because he was for Strahd. And I talked to Joe about it, and you guys didn't have a kind of a shitty character in the game. <laughs> um, so I built him to be shitty. He always thought about himself first. Um, and that was going to be his arc instead of going to... For, he went. For, he was going to go from neutral evil to true neutral. He was going to slide across the mm-hmm. alignment scale. That was, that was what was going to happen. Um, I mean, it very much makes sense with the his background you know yeah life as an urchin life as a slave urchin yeah you're gonna have to become a little self-dependent his freedom was also dependent on getting uh the abbey out of barovia oh yeah he was going to do that with or without you guys his ideal was um i help the people that help me is actually from the urchin thing but that's what really got me going of He's not going to shirk away the, he thought of you guys, God, this is so bad. <laughs> he thought of you guys as, as meat shields that he was slowly building relationships with and he hated it because he yeah. promised himself he would never become attached to another person again. So you, you springboarded a lot of his like core beliefs off of this one thing in the book. I did. It uh, really yeah. got me going on uh, what, what kind of, little little shitty <laughs> trash can character i was gonna make <laughs> yeah yeah and it's also fun that you had in mind like the room to grow in that area 
that that was his ultimate that was his ultimate thing was was moving up the alignment and and caring about someone maybe a little bit more than he cared about himself. Oh, maybe, like maybe, that. maybe. <laughs> and that person was Strawberry. No, <laughs> <laughs> his fucking crow or raven, uh-huh. whatever it was. That um, reminded me of a thing that I wanted to talk about, which is mm-hmm. uh, irreconcilable backstories, where um, maybe somebody has written into their backstory that's like, "I will kill any human on sight." Well, in Ugh. a campaign where the majority of npcs are going to be humans and your party is half humans that's going to be pretty difficult yeah um make them blind <laughs> make them blind i have no idea <laughs> how, how, how do you guys deal with um uh ir- irreconcilable character backstories aside from the you know d- d- like the out of game chat like wh- how would you address that I know you're using like an exaggerated example, but something in that vein, I would definitely just tell the player like, okay, it's not going to be full hostility because that's just not going to work. It's going to be non-fun at the table. Um, You can be like, you can be like uncomfortable slash kind of have a rivalry with other races. That's fun. In fact, Mm -hmm. like in the current campaign I'm running, there was, I knew that, a dragonborn and a goliath were going to come at the table and i was like ooh 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 because in my setting i think this is a pretty common thing giants and dragons had a, a massive war ages ago and this that uh kind of animosity has bled into the goliaths and dragonborns which are both directly descended from those two races so mm-hmm. i let both players independently know about this like hey your character or at least members of your race are not thrilled with this other race and i kind of just left it at that and like i a low-key a little disappointed that both both the characters did nothing with that <laughs> but i mean that's their call because they were both going to be big buff beefy men and i kind of <laughs> like the idea of setting up this in-party like not hostility but rivalry and i think that's the key mm-hmm. difference like uh, having a rival versus an, an enemy is, is fun. I mean, again, that's like the Legolas and Gimli thing. They yes. were more, far more rivals than enemies. I think in Fellowship, they kind of were more dicks to each other in the start. But I've been rambling for a while. The point is, open hostility <laughs> is not going to work at all. But uh, like a level of distrust or rivalry is actually a lot of fun to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say... Anything like a bond that falls into murder hobo territory is not allowed at my table. Mm-hmm. Just, just that's just facts. But something more along the lines of a of a hardcore bond that I would think of, I always tell the truth. My my word is my bond. Mm. That's a hardcore one because like they can't lie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had a uh, that is something allowed. Incapable. I played a Warforged who was incapable of lying, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, so th- <laughs> that's what I think of, of more of an extreme allowable bond that allows for yeah. really fun stuff to happen. Uncomfortable, he- but fun. That character was really interesting to play in a good way, because there'd be a lot of times where like my go-to response is to like lie to an NPC, and I had to go like, nope, nope, Jack, Jack cannot lie, so how am I going to do this? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you know, I liked that character so much I played him in your campaign. You sure did. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, yeah, it's a I mean listen, I did not create the trope of straight man robot who doesn't understand social cues. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I didn't like 
make the connection while I was making the character, but like shortly after I started playing him, I was like, oh my god. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, fine. Like, like I said, I, I did not make that trope. It's a pretty common trope. I really like Bonds. It's one of my favorite boxes. Um, because it... The, the word Bonds is a little vague, but I really like to use it as a anchor. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I, I try to pitch it to my players in that way, too. It's like, use the, this as um, something that anchors your character to the world. Um, is there an organization that took them in? Is there a person that took them in? Is there a person that... Um, did something you know bad to them yeah. and now they've sworn vengeance it's kind of a bond you know mm-hmm. i think that like all all four of these that we're discussing i would hesitate to say that like one's the most important and without without any one your character is going to feel incomplete but i think bonds are definitely one of the most important because yeah you can build up any kind of edgelord you want but I, I honestly think you could still make an edgelord type character work as long as they have a really solid bond. Because you could mm-hmm. you could have a character who's oh I was <laughs> you could have, not, you not, not to throw Aspen under the bus, but I was raised as a slave and I was Yeah. Listen, Aspen was not an edgelord, but you know you know you know the edgelord tropes of like oh, I'm dark and tortured and my parents <laughs> are dead and everyone's out to get me and I couldn't trust myself. But then if you throw in also, I raised my sister and she's the person I care about the most. Like, suddenly, that this edgelord actually has some depth to them. Yeah. And they actually have something they are attached to and care about. As I, I really strongly think as soon as you give your character a bond, a lot of other tropes can kind of work. You're kind of justified. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, it's Aspen. Aspen's bond is he owes a debt he can never repay. Um, mm-hmm. and therefore he will never allow himself to take on something like that again. He will never let any himself owe anybody anything. Wow. Yeah, that's like a multifaceted bond. Mm-hmm. Um. In, in a good way. Yeah. But that, that was my, that was my, my edgelord kind of like thing <laughs> was he's never going to get himself in the situation where he has to owe somebody something again. See, the thing is, like, he, he was definitely not an edgelord, though, because I think a lot of edgelord comes from the personality traits, too. And, like, mm-hmm. there were aspects, like, someone else could take Aspen's background and make them an edgelord, but he was kind of, like, he acted carefree and a little goofy and a little, like, he was a smartass. Yeah. And none of those things feel like an edgelord, so he didn't oh, well, feel like you. one at all. I appreciate so, that. Thank you. I, for, I've never played with Aspen, so I don't know, but He's from what I've heard... um. <laughs> That the the I will never allow myself to like owe somebody again is sounds kind of like uh an edge lordy thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. But like it from like hearing about how you played the character, it seems like you would be totally willing to let that character owe somebody else and break their bond yep. to give them character development and growth yes. and depth. Oh yeah, of, yeah. Of course. It's always I mean, about the story. And, and I the think with all of these is like these things can all change. <laughs> yeah. And I was just gonna make a point about like the the negative aspects of edgelordiness I think come from the unwillingness to allow your character to come away from that I feel um, that. trope, I guess. And or the, like the darkness. And to like unwilling to be a team player is the biggest thing mm-hmm. I think. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. I know that's what you guys struggled with Aspen because he always ran away. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> but that that was like that is something I discussed with the DM before. Of he was supposed to cause conflict because everybody yeah. else in the it, it was it was strawed. It was supposed to be a hard game, and everybody else was too buddy buddy. Yeah. And uh, so I I pre I got it pre approved. <laughs> no, it was it was interesting to work with because there's definitely a couple of role play moments of just sitting him down and be like, buddy, you can't, you you're going to get killed if you keep running off. <laughs> you're a four foot three twink. What are you doing? <laughs> the, uh, the other thing I think about with Bonds is what can your character lose that would hurt them? Mm, yes. Mm. As a DM, I love getting things that I can hurt my players with. Oh, <laughs> I'm not yeah. sadistic at all. No, I mean, it's, 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 I feel like you kind of have to do that though. Like mm -hmm. you have to look at the bonds. You have to know what these characters care about to know, like how to punch them where it hurts, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Which isn't to say like if your character's one bond in the world or if, if a, a player in your campaign, if their one bond is, I have a sister I raised from birth, don't kill them right away. Like maybe kidnap them and put them in danger. Mm -hmm. Like you, mm. put putting them in peril is more interesting than outright just killing them uh -huh. or, or destroying that bond um you it could eventually lead to that but it should you know that should be the thing in danger before it's yeah. destroyed yeah. and i did make a comment about i love to have things to hurt my players with but Absolutely. it's also you have to be really careful with stuff like that because as players like i i think it's it's almost hard not to pour a little bit of yourself into your characters yeah oh, of yeah. course um, and I've, there was one story I heard about a guy who, he always played a ranger that had a dog. And oh, no. that was just like his go-to thing. And the character, the player himself didn't even realize, or herself, I actually don't remember, doesn't matter. Um, didn't realize what this dog actually like meant to them. Uh, and it, it was, it represented a dog that they had growing up, their childhood. And then they moved away to college and the dog died while they were and they're they didn't get to say goodbye to the dog Jeez. and their family treated it poorly uh or treated the situation poorly not the dog um and then in a campaign that they were playing their dog gets killed or something i can't remember what and the person had like almost a breakdown because they they didn't realize how much unresolved feelings they had there and that is also something in, in session zero if you have if you're putting in a or if you have characters that have bonds that you're like, oh, I'm going to use these, like definitely like feel out at least how comfortable the players are with what can happen to those bonds just in case. God. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's such a tricky situation. Cause like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, maybe I should be considering this more, but I, I probably wouldn't check in. I, I certainly don't check in with every character for their bonds. Like, hey, is this sister you're raising in game like indicative of your real life little sister? And you'd be heartbroken if I killed them. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. It's it's something that you have to feel out really, really early on, so that yeah. you don't give away anything if you do intend to use it. Um, but the, I, that's you know the importance of session zero. How comfortable are of you course. with things like this? Yeah. yeah, that's a conversation I have with my players. Like, mm -hmm. like with you, I've talked with you, but kind of about that stuff about like, 
I don't want to, not too much, but with Drez. Like, comfort yeah. levels and things. Yeah, just what lines should not be crossed. Yeah. It could be different for everyone. It It is different from everyone. There are things that I cannot do with certain people's backstories that I could, 100, or not backstories, well, including their backstories, that I can do with yours. Yeah. And then same or vice they, versa. Yeah. Even, like, something that would absolutely destroy one person is something that another person actually wants in there. Mm-hmm. Wants exactly. to happen. Yeah. And then, like, I think we tend to think of bonds as um people, but mm-hmm. there's there's just so much room for it. Like it could be that a character's bond is uh the arcane establishment they're tied to, and so mm-hmm. threatening that bond can be that establishment coming under attack, mm-hmm. or your character um their ties to this organization being threatened. Like maybe they're gonna get kicked out. Um, there's lots of things you can you can introduce that threaten the bonds um which should make the characters and players you know react to it and and go out of their way to uh, preserve these bonds Mm -hmm. Mm. all right the last thing is flaws and like (laughs) i can't help it but i'm tempted to say this is also one of the most important like the other three (laughs) (laughs) i mean they're all important but flaws flaws are really interesting um because again, like you can build up these badass characters, and we're here to play, you know, competent, fun adventurers. But if you don't have a flaw, you're again going into a little bit of an edge lord territory. You, if you are a perfect person, you're also just not interesting. Yeah, I don't know about edge lord, but I, without a flaw, characters do feel very um, flat. And it's, I know there's a lot of playstyles out there that don't. Uh, go really heavy into the character development. Some people like to smash smash pots and collect rubies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. But if you're serious about your characters, flaws definitely needs some consideration. Yeah. And one flaw that I see a lot that's kind of funny to me is the flaw of, I don't think I have any flaws. And that's the flaw. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah see see you can do that but then also what is your flaw yeah yeah <laughs> you can like yeah you can think you have no flaws and so maybe you're blind to the fact that you're a glutton mm-hmm. or or mm-hmm. just lazy but like or arrogant yeah there has to <laughs> i mean that could be it that's, there has to be yeah, something there um I, I think of them in a couple of ways. Um, I think flaws can be vices. So, like, what are you susceptible mm. to? Are you... Uh, this is something that will come up for Paragus. Paragus is a gambler. Um, he Ooh. loves taking bets on things. And not just in, like, you know, a, a like casino-type setting. He loves placing bets on random things. If they meet people in a, in, in a bar who are just enjoying their meal he will try to strike up conversation and get them to bet on like the weather just because he he's quite literally just addicted to gambling. Um, he's lost a lot of money this way, which, and that's, that's the point where it becomes a vice. Like he's not particularly good at it. He, he doesn't have any trick up his sleeve. He just enjoys the act of gambling and loses a lot of money doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I like flaws are um, one of the, best ways to give your character growth um, oh yeah especially in terms of vices 
if there's something that they are uh, easily manipulated by um, or a weakness of some kind that they can, uh, you know, try to change for them about themselves. It gives them a uh, a place to go for for their character growth. Mm-hmm. I also think a flaw is kind of like a weakness in a way. Uh, something I have in my no- notes is how can your character be exploited? If there was a villain who knew everything about you, what would they use to to defeat you, to exploit you? What specific implements or tools would they use to combat your character? And these don't, you know, these don't have to be as as I don't know what the word would be, but as a kind of open-minded as like gambling. Arachnophobia is a flaw. Um you're mm-hmm. terrified of spiders or insects in general, maybe you're scared of water like and these don't make your character weak. They make your character interesting. And mm-hmm. like like you said, Willis, it gives your character room to grow. If your character is terrified of water the whole campaign, but gets to a point where a party member's drowning, you are suddenly faced with an opportunity for your character to overcome this fear and grow. And the... I guess this actually applies to, like, all the boxes, but um, you can keep adding to these boxes throughout the campaign and that's fantastic oh, yeah. like there was a character in one of your campaigns that they almost drowned a couple times i think and i think i don't know if they ever actually did this, but they joked about putting that like fear yeah. of drowning on their uh as it like a phobia of theirs actually i think this has happened a couple times in a couple different campaigns but um that's that's what i like about um things like that is that uh these boxes are always evolving and you can add a flaw later that um for sure comes up i feel like i've also said this on the podcast but i quite like looking at the seven deadly sins for ideas for flaws Mm. i like that too yeah um i liked so you never picked up on it but i made sure to do it every time every time renegade lied to you guys in game she coughed she cleared her throat Son every time and it's it's one of her flaws um the the coughing or the lying the the uh, uh, her clearing her throat was one of her flaws mm. whenever she lied she she cleared her throat it was her tell she couldn't help interesting. it interesting uh, um, i did not pick up on that mm-mm. every time i made sure i did every time too but then That's also funny. um she had so you know like she killed her husband she had to um spoilers dude one of her flaws was and I had it like like she would scratch into the surface with her nails. Nobody checked on it. She was writing his name into the wood because I wanted to, her one of her flaws to be she could be easily manipulated when it came to her, her husband. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you guys never picked up on any of them. <laughs> <laughs> flaws are definitely like super, super vital to making your character feel interesting. Mm hmm. Every character, every person has a weakness that can be exploited. And it's, the funny thing about flaws, too, is that um, I think a lot of it is, uh, uh, some of it, I guess, comes down to the the DM needs to implement it, because um, human, you know, human beings naturally try to hide our flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little different when you're playing a character and you may intentionally put them in a way that their flaws come out um but 
our characters would most likely play stuff like that close to the vest. Yes. So when you're DMing, um, I think it's important to look at your character's flaws, and, or your player's character's flaws, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just make a couple notes of where you could put that in, how you could implement it in just like a data uh, uh, standard anywhere. Yeah, uh, backgrounds are very integral part of the character and they help they help you flesh out your your character just a lot further than i feel like even your class can because like i've said i think i think your class is how you do stuff and your background is what you actually do yeah i yeah i would have to say when building my characters the background is one of the most important things that i focus on um because it's who my character is as a character Mm mm-hmm like yeah uh, I, I like uh not class background it's the background the background is the most important thing for my characters but that's for me yeah i like to think of uh backgrounds as just um so much more than just a section in the book for mm-hmm. building your character it's a you know it could be a good place to start but uh the bulk of who who your character is will come from Definitely. what you decide in their background all right well thanks for listening everyone we'll be back next week uh, talk about some i should probably stop ex- ex- exiting you should stop exiting like I, that oh my god well because i used to say what we're talking about but now it doesn't make sense to do, to do that oh my god. thanks for listening we... everyone we'll be back next week but until then eh. hasta la pasta <laughs> bye uh. <laughs>